Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Can't hear you, Greg. You got your mic muted. You know, see, this is what drives me crazy about blog talk. Uh, Let me mute my my computer here. You know, I mean, I I had a perfectly good five-minute monologue, and I don't think anybody heard it because I wasn't broadcasting, but I don't know I'm not broadcasting because there's no meters. There's nothing telling me that I'm not broadcasting. Pianki, did you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now, but these problems are getting to be kind of aggravating. Well, they're aggravating for me because I'm paying for it. You know, it's it's a service that they're providing, and they're not providing the service. So I don't know, I don't know, short of uh, getting a refund, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do about this. So, I, yeah, that's crazy. So, so you missed my so, – so nothing came on because everything indicates to me that I was on. Well, you were neither on, on my call in nor on the, uh, on the uh, blog talk. Oh, so You're still not on the blog talk. Let's see. Hang on for a second. Let's see. Oh, see, that's crazy. That's how we yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you on blog, but at least I can hear me. Oh, you, you can only hear you? Yeah, I can hear you on blog talk now. Plus, well, I'm on my cell phone. All right, let's go on with this. You on your cell phone? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> Thanks. I had to take off the um, the microphone because it wasn't broadcasting. Put it back on and see what happens. All right, hang on. I'd rather use my microphone if, if at all possible because that's the, that's the service. I've already unplugged it. Yeah, so it may not. It's better on the microphone. Put it back on and see what happens. Well, it doesn't usually work if I plug it back in. That's the problem. I might have to just start a new episode. Don't knock the show off. Well, no, it, won't, it won't take the show off, but it's uh, – let me hang up and try the microphone. I'll be back in a minute. All right, let's try this again. <laughs> I tried to go on microphone, and I couldn't hear you. I couldn't hear anything. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now, but I don't hear you on blog talk. No, uh, did you hear me on the cell phone? Okay, now you're on blog talk. I can hear you. I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah, these people really like to miss each you. Well, you know, I, and I just emailed them because uh, I wanted to get my show featured. The one I did yesterday, and I just emailed them saying, "Hey, things have been pretty good." Because I did have to call in once last week, but uh, it's crazy that I had to call in again, you know, right at the beginning of the show. Usually, I get some kind of, well, I don't get a warning. 
So you I, can't talk to nobody live over there. Well, something's wrong, but you can't call them. There's, there's no phone number. They don't answer phone calls. That's what I'd say. We need to pay them a visit and knock on the door. Well, they're in New York. I can't. <laughs> they're too far away. All right. I wish they were. I mean, I'd happily not take a vacation and let them come to the door and ask who could it be now. Someday we're going to have, I'm going to have my own website. You know, I'm going to broadcast directly from our own action radio website. We shouldn't have these problems anymore. But you know, my phone's not completely charged. (laughs) So it's the, you know, so I don't know if the last three hours, if I have to plug it in, the the cord's a little short. I'm going to have to be leaning over and doing the show. There's no reason for this. You know, so maybe I'll, I'll email them. Uh, I've got uh, one of my uh, classic interviews to play. So later on, I'm going to do uh, Mark Thornton of Mises. Uh, it's a fascinating interview. Uh, and, and it's really pretty cool. We've got Derek coming up at the bottom of this hour. And uh, Shirley took off this week. That's why I started the show a little bit later. So well, normally I say, what's that? I forgot she said that. Yeah, well, she's off today, but she'll be she back next week. Last so. week. She, didn't, she missed two weeks. Yeah, she had stuff to do. So it happens. You know, mm-hmm. like I say, my, I'm just happy to have all my reporters that I have here able to do what we can do. But uh, it's, it, I'm just, you know, mad I missed my first little bit of the show. So that's, that's no fun. So I might, I might make, make, just make this a shorter show today simply because I'm furious. <laughs> you know, really, I hate the fact that it's, it's uh, you know, I have these issues. So we'll get Derek. We'll talk to you. Um, and then we can, and then I just might end it early out of disgust. So tell me what's, um, I finally found a, a New York Post article on, on Mr. Brittany Griner. And I'm going to call him Mr. Brittany just to piss off everybody uh, for the person that's, uh, you know, the, the fake woman. <laughs> so, well, what, so what's the story? That's what they refer to themselves as. What's that? That's what they refer to themselves as, the man in the relation. Oh, see, there you go. Yeah, well, I mean, not that I have to refer as they do, because I, the, the, I don't use the term transgender because it's meaningless. You know, we're talking about people that have had, you know, various, uh, you know, abusive uh, drugs and surgeries, but they haven't, they haven't, they haven't changed anything other than, uh, other than making themselves, you know, miserable potentially in the future. But that's, you know, you're free to, as long as you don't pick on the kids. I mean, adults are free to do really dumb things. That's a really dumb thing. But be that as it may. If you want to pretend you're, you're somebody else, then dress that way. It's a lot easier. No permanent effects on you. Anyway, so, so Mr. Brittany Griner um, is out after 10 months. You know, what happened to the, the big sense? And apparently they traded for some really bad person. So we were holding somebody that was, was pretty awful. This is usually how this works. Democrats can't trade. I was watching somebody last night that said that, the, you know, this is a terrible trade. The Democrats are horrible negotiators. They should be nowhere near anything foreign policy because they suck. Is that about right? Well, actually, absolutely yes. Why would they trade uh, this woman who is uh, this man who is a hater of America mm-hmm. for someone who supplies tools and products that's used to kill Americans? <clears throat> it doesn't. Great trade. It doesn't register. Well, if somebody hated America that much, I might leave them there for a while. <laughs> You know, why Why would you go to Herculean efforts to bring somebody back that hates the country? You know, not that well, Americans, you know, did. And then they want to say that she had a small amount, and they detected it going in, and they caught her coming out. Well, that's what they usually do. They got a little fish. They want to see who the big fish is. They may have thought that she's oh. trading in Russia. 
in another point. If this is supposed to be yeah. medicinal, she's been uh-huh. there for over a year and haven't used it. Oh, baby, what kind of medicine is that? She's not using it for over almost a year. So that's nothing but another bamboozlement. So let me get this straight. So she says she's taking cannabis oil because she needs it for, for medicine for some – do you know what, what, what it's supposed to be for? Well, whatever it, it was for that caused her to take it regularly, she's been without it while she's in Russian jail, and she doesn't look like she's died to me. Yeah. So she's lying. <laughs> well, she's yeah, a liar. Exactly. Yeah, it reminds me, who's that, was that um, traitor who was uh, changed, you know, allegedly – you know, what, tried to change genders, or at least the appearance thereof. Uh, a woman, blonde woman, who was really a guy, <laughs> you know, who was a uh, gave away intelligence secrets and things like that. It was an espionage case. I, don't I think know she raised so many of them. I think he, he who was trying to be she, was pardoned. Yeah, I'll. I'll I remember that case. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I'll tell you. you know, uh, show right now. Mad. <laughs> I hate the fact that I've lost my original broadcast. I mean, it was a great move when I started the show. And now all of a sudden, I've, you know, my microphone is not working. i got to go on cell phone. This is really horrible. I really do. I get what? pissed off. It, it just goes to show you, you, you all these instruments and individuals that try to stop free speech. And then we read others saying, well, I'm quitting Twitter because Elon Musk had bought it. Well, hell, I quit Twitter because of they denied President Trump his right to talk. Now I'm back, and I brought cans of Lysol with me to spray the place out. <laughs> well, I gotta start asking for a refund every time this happens now. This is crazy. You know, because there's no reason for this. To, you know, and like I say, without without dials to know that I'm broadcasting. See, here's what happened. Every other station has, uh, has uh, needles to tell you when you're broadcasting. You know, when I do my Adobe Audition software, so when I make my sarcastic pieces and all the commercials that I make and things like that, there's always uh, there's a meter. So I know how much signal is going into uh, the system that I'm making so nothing distorts. You know, I have all these things I can, I can help with the clipping and, and some of the other things and the normalizing process and all that. In fact, I just made one for, of Mark Thornton, who is at the Mises Institute. It's another economics interview. It's kind of our theme this week. Um, but uh, I know exactly how loud I'm broadcasting. I know how strong the signal is from all the inputs. And it's a multi-track recording. You know, but so the, why they can't do that on the, on the blog talk screen, I don't know. Well, I just switched over to the Naima Latisse show, the show that's always uh, talking about racism, reparations, and stuff like that. Right. They're playing loud and clear. Oh, my goodness, loud and clear. So why is my show not working? That's really interesting. Because your show is getting to the home of things, getting to <laughs> the heart of it. Yeah, but they know I can call in by cell phone. It's just to aggravate me. Why, why, why would they do that? It doesn't make sense. We should ask Lori because <laughs> she's been on Blog Talk for a while. That's what liberals do, man. They try to shut you up. I was on a show yeah, last night when they tried, to shut, they tried to shut me up. They just ain't clever enough to do it. You know, it's something when somebody tries to shut you up, and you know about more, you know more about them than they do themselves. Well, but it doesn't make Neither sense though because they this is they a black hole. Of Jama- this is a black hole yeah. for Jamaican 
in New Mexico, and right. he's got these white liberal progressives, some of them old as stink, and uh-huh. uh, they feeding him all this garbage. So when I come in and I tell him, I say, look, I'm black, you white, how are you going to tell me how I feel? Well, you're a racist. Well, that's good. I haven't <laughs> broke nobody's rights. Yeah. So uh, yeah. you're prejudiced there. You know it's really something else. But no, they uh they talking about how denigrated and how evil and Republicans are no good, Trump's no good, and all that kind of stuff until you challenge them. You have to challenge these people. And then when you challenge them, they want to shut you up. They want to make you quiet. And you're not supposed to do that. Herschel Walker, you weren't supposed to do that. You're not supposed to run under a Republican banner. You are black. Shame on you. Yeah, yeah. It's not a it's not a skin color. It's a prison sentence, <laughs> according to the left. It's right. You're absolutely right, Greg. It's not about skin color. In ninety percent of the time, it's about political party. Yeah. Well, like you say, if we if we took the political parties out of out of the elected officials, you know, this this may be a very interesting thing. This might be one of the biggest deep state charges because the parties themselves have become way too big. They're like their own their own government. You know, and I, I remember talking about an article I was going to write, the nation of government. You know, there was the D.C. was its own country, and the, the states around it were like, you know, foreign adversaries. And that, that's kind of how they operate. I might write that article. I want to get on Substat. It's, it's all, it's one of my many things that I've got planned, that it's just, it's just a time question. You know, and it's, it's a, there's only you so know, much, you know, I get, I get to everything I want to get to. It just takes me six months. <laughs> that's the problem. You know, I'm conservative. I have always been. And, of course, we only have one banner that generally you can come under because they usually profess your interest. Mm -hmm. But I don't know why it is is that the progressives and leftists, and that covers the whole gamut from transgenders and so so on and so on, why do they want to push their way onto those who are not aligned with their thinking? I don't care who you sleep with, but I don't want you professing that to my children. I mean, is that yeah. not just simple? I am responsible well, for the innocence of my child. You are responsible for the innocence of your child. You're supposed to protect that. But, oh, no, no. They want to tell you what we can teach your children. That responsibility is now in our hands, not you as the parent. And along other lines too. So I agree. Um, it, it's I, I'm trying to think of exactly you know because we've talked about this before as to how to uh, why the left is so insistent that everybody be the left. You know, conservatives, patriots, independents. We don't force stuff. You know, we we don't force the Constitution on people except for because of the law of the land as far as that goes. But you know, we don't. You know, we, we don't indoctrinate and you know go to people's homes and schools, and we probably should actually, as far as the Constitution goes. But this is a weird fascination with the left of of taking the most, you know, bizarre people and, and lifestyles and trying to force it on us like it's normal and it's not normal. That's why I had that discussion the other day. You know, I forgot who I was talking to. Uh, oh, I think it was Dorothy, Dorothy Diana, in our, our Sex and Sensuality report. And as, as much as we are tolerant, and as much as uh, we don't want the the agenda forced on it on us. Um, you know, the LGBT community represents a very small minority of people. 
so you know it's not it wouldn't be you know regular standard normal behavior normal is heterosexual male female you know man woman marriage you know whatever else but uh, all this other stuff most of us i think just wish they would go away do what you do but don't force it on us and it's fascinating that people used to complain about trump Oh, he's a horrible president. You know, he's saying awful tweets. He's doing nasty things like that. And then we have an administration of, of complete wackos. And uh, what was the old term? Degenerates? Who's that? Uh, who is that official, the bald-headed man pretending to be a woman dressing in women's clothes and appearing all over uh, media? Man, I don't you know. know. I, don't, I, 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 don't have, I don't even have a TV, so I could <laughs> tell you. Then there's Mr. Levine, that uh, one thing. Levine uh, the Surgeon General, you know, the the man in the blonde wig trying to be a woman. Like again, I couldn't I couldn't tell you who that is. You got a bunch of people with mental issues. You know, if they you, have a mental problem. Why would you want people in government at the heads of agencies and cabinet secretaries that have such strong mental uh health issues as to think that they, they are in the wrong body? I mean, that's to me, that's an identity crisis. You've got some, you're dealing with some serious stuff. You should not be in the, in the, in the, the reins of power, you know, go solve yeah, your, it, your it, issues it, and then come back. And know? why would, and then why would Congress Democrats and Republicans go along to pass this defense of marriage act? And you know, it's unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many they times do we have to tell you that marriage all throughout the history of man and civilized man, have been at the sanctity of the church and licenses are issued by the state. I never mm-hmm. have seen a marriage license that said issued by the federal government. That is not yeah, exactly. your area. Yeah. Well, there's no consequences for their actions. See, that's another problem too. They haven't been forced to, to actually follow the, the constitution. Uh, even though, and, and, it's, you know, we know what the penalties are. You know, we've talked about conspiracies uh, under Section uh, 241 of Title 18. You know, if, if any, anybody, if two or more people, and that would include Congress, it doesn't say non-government people, but it says if two or more people prior to oppress the exercise or enjoyment of any constitutional right, uh, they can be thrown in jail under a conspiracy law. That's federal code. And yet the Constitution conspires to take our rights all the time. You know, now they're now they're pushing federal marriage, which is unconstitutional. Before it was, uh, you know, under Clinton, they had a gun ban, which was clearly unconstitutional. And yet they got away with it for 10 years because nobody holds these people accountable. Nobody enforces it. So the only way I can enforce it as an as an individual is to change the laws to stop them from doing it by us writing the laws instead of them and their lobbyists. Yeah. And look at Oregon, what they've done. There's something wrong with these people, man. That Katie Hobbs, I went to her uh, Twitter page, and Uh she's using the evil old white male to galvanize Latinos, talking about the disparity in wages because of white supremacy, uh, white nationalists, uh, white males. They've created a yeah, white nationalists just called for white supremacists. That's what they're really saying. Or, or what they're really saying is white racist. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. The, the racists are white, and everybody else is a victim. Well, that's patently absurd. I don't think people buy that. You know, remember we talked about how the Republicans were, were convinced that Hispanics, if they wanted the, quote, Hispanic vote, 
they had to let illegal aliens in because all Hispanics wanted illegal aliens. And I said, no, that's a bunch of nonsense. The only, the only Hispanics that want illegal aliens are other illegal aliens, <laughs> you know, because they want more people in. <laughs> but loyal American Hispanics are, are loyal Americans. And then Hispanics, they don't want illegal aliens in. But you couldn't convince racist Republicans of that because they see all Hispanics as one. In fact, I don't even like the term Hispanic because he talked to Josie especially. I mean, there are Nicaraguans, Cubans, Guatemalans, Hondurans, Mexicans, Costa Ricans, Nicaraguans. You know, you've got uh, a whole uh, Dominican Republicans, Haitians. Well, Haitians are French. But you've got all these different people. And you just can't lump them together. You know, are, are, are Americans, Canadians, British, Australians, or, and New Zealanders? No. We're all different. Well, it's the same way with, it's the same way with blacks. <laughs> See, blacks, you got some blacks, and it's more than just a few, that believe that all blacks need to shop with black stores. Well, huh. no, I'm not going to do that because you turn around and you contribute to politicians whose policies go against my interests. So why I might as well shoot myself in the foot, get it over with. I'm not shopping with no black business just because they black. Are you crazy? You know, it's funny. I lived in a uh, predominantly black neighborhood when I got to California. I was in Oakland. And I have told these stories about, you know, playing blues in the laundromat <laughs> with my guitar and uh, some of the other things. It was fascinating shopping at the, you know, the Muslim bakery. You know, it just... It was a community. We didn't care. But I've always wondered, though, why it is that, like, uh, Italian communities want to advance the economy. Uh, Chinese communities want to advance the economy. Um, black neighborhoods, black communities don't seem to want to advance the economy. It's more of a government-dependent control thing. So it would be really nice. To, well, actually, let me ask you. Are there some black neighborhoods or black communities like the Chinese, Italian, all the different groups of the – like uh, even they have the Armenian community in San Francisco, for example. The Armenians, you know, all sort of, you know, live together for a while. I mean, that's where rice aroni comes from. It's an Armenian family recipe. So, you know, getting together in your communities is, is not, a, not a problem. In fact, you get some really cool restaurants and a bunch of other good things that go on, too. But why is it that the black communities in this country have not sought to advance like some of these other groups? Because they don't, uh, blacks don't support it. Okay. Now, you got blacks that's very well in professions, but when mm-hmm. it comes down to commerce, where you're dealing directly to the public, they're not there because it just don't work like that unless you mm-hmm. got a cohesive group. And, see, black Americans are not no cohesive group. They are v- different. They have various ideologies and various wants. You know, right. I listened to the NPR station one time, and they were talking about white flight. And I called into the station, and I said, well, what about black flight? <laughs> same idea, same one. Yeah. And they Is don't address black that. Flight or what did they say? They didn't say anything. It was quiet. Well, I, I talk about black supremacy sometimes, and I've forgotten who the latest black supremacist was. Oh, I think Raphael Warnock. You know, he hates white people. He said he supported abortion because Jesus would. <laughs> and he's oh, a preacher. Funny. Right. And, and, they say, and they say conservatives talk about fake news? Jesus supports abortion? I, or what was the other one, too? Or abortion is, is the cure to inflation. 
You know, if people simply stop, you know, people abort their own children, then the cost of goods will, will drop, and that's a good thing. That's twisted. Well, see, what they need, it's just uh, like the Bible speaks particularly against man lying with man like women and women lying with women like men. Oh, they don't know how to. So they need someone who can stand there with the collar around their neck in the pulpit and say, that God loves everybody. See, they need that. But in essence, that's not true. You're going to be judged on that according to the story and according to the doctrine, and you will not be let in. You know, most, and you know, you asked that question you just asked earlier, why don't they? And a lot of them just live here on earth and have taken the stance that it's just a stopping place on the way to the by and by. You think I'm kidding? Yeah, that's like feudalism. You know, have you have a be, be grateful that you have a landlord and a little patch of dirt to uh, try and exist on because you know, once you get to heaven, everything's going to be great. Well, you got to make it here first. All right, we got Derek on the line. I want to talk money a little bit here, and I'm curious his reaction. If you got a chance to listen to my my David Stockman chat yesterday, but thanks, Bianchi. Appreciate telling me that uh, I wasn't broadcasting. So, Derek, we're on the cell phone. I'll be right back uh, to you. Money, what is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets. Oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park of Edward Jones Financial Advisors joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. So my signal cut out again, Derek. I'm on the cell phone every morning. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Well, except for myself, <laughs> except the fact that I'm on my cell phone, not my microphone. Uh, I'm okay. I was, right. I, I was furious actually. I was I was really uh, when Pianki told me I couldn't believe because I just told Blog Talk, emailed them. Apparently they're gonna they're gonna I think they'll be featuring our show yesterday with David Stockman. They featured my show the day before with uh, Dr. Deborah Viglione, who's down in Gulf Breeze. So she's a little, she just came out with a book. COVID vaccines and beyond, you know, what the manufacturers aren't telling you. That was a great show. That was really cool. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm passing that along as well. Um, anyway, so did you get a chance to listen to, to uh, or hear it live, my, my David Stockman chat? <laughs> Excuse me, I did. Um, and I actually went to, to, try to, to try to find some of the things that he said, like the data to back it up. And I'm like, man, I really struggled on some of this stuff to find where this information comes from. Um, okay, you can critique you know, it. I don't mind. Tell me what you think. Yeah, I mean, it, I, 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 look, I, I don't. I, I guess the way I look at it is, there's a lot of people that build a doom and gloom picture, you know. And I mean, it, it just um, the guy that that, uh, that that the movie was done off. I can't remember the guy's name. The Big Short, you know, the guy that that uh, shorted the 2008 2009 market correction that became like a, a mega millionaire overnight. Uh, uh-huh. I don't you know. I think it was a movie made about this. Yeah, the, the Big Short was the movie that was made about it. Oh, the Big Short. Okay. Um, you know, yeah. but I can't remember the guy's name for the life of me. But, you know, I mean, that guy, since that market correction, you know, I mean, for the past, you know, six or seven years has been predicting another one just like it. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, <laughs> okay, it's going to happen. Well, eventually he'll be it's right. Gonna, but, you know, that's like predicting well, earthquakes. Right. Exactly. That's crazy. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like eventually you're going to be right. Eventually the sky will be blue. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, you know, and it's just these, 
you know, David Stockman, is, I mean, a very intelligent man, you know what I mean, for what he did. I'm not discounting that the possibility is not there, but, you know what I mean, you can keep right. building this big old picture, and then when it finally happens, people are going to be like, well, I told you so. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, okay, you know, great, thanks, Captain Obvious. You know what I mean? Like, it's uh, what goes up must come down. You know, it's, it's no, I, uh, I, I, I get it. Well. Well, we've talked about the fact that, you know, it's like there's forecasting and there's reporting. It's like weather. Yeah. You know, the weather people are, are frequently wrong because they're trying to guess. And you and I talk about things that have happened, so, but, in, but in actual terms. In other words, the recession is not at the end of two negative quarters. It's at the beginning of the first one. Right. That's when your recession right. starts. You know? Right. And so whether people exactly. believe it or not or, you know, how they experience it. But it, it's not, the, the most interesting thing I found about him was just talk about deflation because I don't think he's ever been asked that. At least not anytime soon. But um, no, but, but I mean, he definitely talked about the real the real rate of inflation. You know, I mean, basically yep. saying, hey, yeah, it's at it's at it's at seven eight percent. But he was also talking about the the purchasing power of money. You know what I mean? And, uh-huh. and yeah, I mean, I understand the purchasing power of money has dwindled a little bit, but the right. the the economic growth that's come behind it, I think, really negates what people are you. You know what I mean? People argue that, well, you know, a dollar used to buy this. Well, you know what I mean? Inflation mm-hmm. diminishes that. You have to understand that, right? You know, so right. – and, and inflation is, is natural and necessary, right? There's no way – I mean, there's certain things that they can lower costs on once they can produce them at a higher rate. But, you know what I mean? There's certain things that that's, that that's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. And, you know, I mean, obviously – I think we're currently in deflation right now. Does that mean we're not going to uh, see a recession? I mean, yeah, we're 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 in one. You know what I mean? Like, or we're in the the precursors of one. You know, so what does that look like in the markets, and what does that look like to people? I mean, I don't know if I go as far as to saying, you know, you only need to invest in gold and put your money in the bank. That's what he was saying to do. I'm like, come on, man. You know what I mean? I understand that the rate. <laughs> Well, I understand that the rates in the bank right now are better because of the high Fed funds rate. But as soon as we have the next problem, the Fed's going to start lowering the rate. I do agree with with David Stockman saying the rate should never be zero. I mean, they should hover it maybe half a percent, one percent when they have problems, stuff like that. You know, by running them to zero, you I do agree with him that you're allowing rampant borrowing that does create a debt. So, you know, I mean, our national debt right now is at thirty one trillion, the highest it's ever been. Um, And like I want to say that the figure that I saw was like twenty six trillion of that is debt that's owned by uh, the people. You know, I mean, the rest yeah. of it is is government government borrowing. You know, I mean, you know, so so technically, I guess the way is the way to say it is the government owes five trillion, and the the people owe twenty six trillion. You know, now what David Stockman was saying that that number is really triple what what um you know what that number shows. You know, and I'm like, what did he say? Ninety one trillion dollars. I'm like. Well, Man, I can say no. He was talking about the consumer debt. So, in other words, if you combine all the credit right. cards, house yeah. loans, all of that—that's that's it's, it's, that's it's, that's that's two different, the two different debts. Right, but the consumer debt—you got consumer debt. Yeah, but the consumer debt that I found online was the twenty-six trillion. That's that's I yeah. couldn't find yeah. consumer debt. I couldn't find a statistic that even rivaled that number. You know, I'm just like, well, where did this come from? Hmm, good question. Let me and, and again, yeah. I, sort of my policy is, especially with with major public figures, I don't argue with them on the show. 
Um, but no, that doesn't I, mean we I, can't I, talk I about it later. Thought, but uh, this is an yeah, interesting question. It, so, well, here's the point. Though, that, but I would ask him. <laughs> you know, yeah, I would like, yeah, hey, man, yeah, help me. Yeah, here. This is why I have you to, to go over it afterwards because I didn't think of this. This is really interesting. Um, right. If it's if it's thirty trillion in federal debt. And, and bondholders, American citizens or, or institutions, whatever, holding those bonds represent $26 trillion of that. $5 trillion is probably China or whatever. I don't know. But the point is he was saying, but that's not what the debt he's talking about. And I, I thought I asked him about that, saying that, okay, so you're talking about all the debt in this country, not just the government debt, but all the debt. Right. And so – Yeah, that's, that's what he said specifically. According okay. to the Federal Reserve, the total U.S. debt, which is debt includes household, businesses, state and local government, financial institution, and the federal government, is $93.5 dollars. So that's where the figure comes from, I guess. Where, 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 where did you see this? According to the Federal Reserve source. Huh. The federal debt that we live with today is $31.4 trillion. So you add that along with the consumer debt, and it gets you up to the ninety-three point five. Yeah, I I didn't I I don't. I, I, what did you search to find that statistic, Jackie? I think you said Federal Reserve. I I still don't see it. I mean, I'm I'm searching, and and man, I look. I looked at. Like consumer debt, I looked at uh, you know, I mean, I I really I was just like, man, that's a that's a lot. Of, there's like not even that money, you know, that kind of money out there. You know what I mean to borrow. <laughs> you know what I mean. So which means it's that, like, that, like, that the credit card companies well, are they're on, the it's an accounting. Like a, it's an accounting answer, but you know, Derek, the thing that's very scary is the interest on the debt, which is four hundred eighty-four point five billion today. Uh, in twenty twenty-six, it's supposed to be right. Running neck to neck with the national uh, with the with the uh, defense budget, which is seven hundred and some odd billion. Yeah, I mean, I I just said, I, well, what did you what did you search that statistic with? Go to usdebtclock.org. Usdebtclock d e b t c l o c k dot org. I've seen I've seen US Debt Clock. The U.S. debt clock is 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 something that that uh, I I don't I don't know. There's also a clock that's run by the same company that oil was supposed to run out eight years ago. <laughs> it's the same. It's, it's usoilclock.org, but it's the same company that does it. But oil was supposed to run out like eight years ago, so I don't right. know. I mean, I I, I I don't know where they're pulling the where they're pulling the number from. But it's two separate measures. How, this is the thing I don't. I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but you're measuring consumer debt, credit cards, mortgages, loans, car loans, business loans, things like that. Private debt versus government debt. It's the two totally different things. Because yeah. the private debt. Private debt is private debt is twenty four point two trillion. Twenty four point two trillion private debt. They have this debt clock that's just sitting here spinning, but the data doesn't even come out that fast. So I'm like. <laughs> How are they updating this? I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. yeah. Well, Anything. the point is these I numbers mean, are, are 
they're in the realm of we're arguing things that even if we get the answer, it's not going to change anything. So it's, it's hard. It's like we're analyzing. I don't know. I don't know where to go with it. It just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And that's the best problem with economics when you get into the forecasting and these big numbers and, you know, trying to uh, get a handle on it. Uh, the point is that, that we can solve the government debt. Individuals have to solve their individual debt. Corporations have to solve their corporate debt. But uh, the government debt, that's on us to tell the government how to solve it. I mean, that's our job to tell them. Basically, stop borrowing. Yeah. Well, I would look at it like this, too. If, if the U.S. tax revenue is $5 trillion is what it's showing on here, you know, right. I mean, technically, that's about right. if, you look at it, if you look at it like this, our debt could be paid in, in six years. You know what I mean? So that's, that's, not, that's not a big loan. You know what I mean? Like a six-year loan is not a big-year loan. That's a car loan, right? Well, you know that's, what I mean? that's so, if you don't spend money on anything else. You've still got a federal budget. Now, I right. in my article on the constitutional budget, I don't know if, you, if you've seen it. I did a video on it too. So if you take just Article 1, Section 8, the legitimate expenditures of government, it's $1.5 trillion. So if, yeah. if you've got $5 trillion revenue, $1.5 trillion uh, yeah. actual legal expenditures, you've got $3.5 trillion left over. You could fund everything the federal government is supposed to fund. Sure. Which is mostly the well, what I'm saying. Look, you know, look at it and then, like the and that's not how it works. Well, I know. It's it's not how it works, you got to stop all spending on everything else, and every dime that comes in has to be applied to the debt. Well, oh, exactly. sure. look that's, at it like this. If you owned your, if if you bought your house, right, and your house was, you know, say say three hundred thousand dollars, you know, that's the median house right now, right, and the median income is like. What thirty five, thirty eight thousand dollars? We'll call it forty thousand dollars for easy numbers. If you shut everything down, you could have your house paid off. Um, you know, in what seven years? You know what I mean? Right. Or, or call it. Yeah, but call you it can't go without food in the well, well, hold on a second. I'm going to finish that, Pianchi. Hold on. <laughs> Listen. You know, I mean, so so a good analogy was given to me one time. You know, when people talk about the national debt and how. And how, you know, I mean, uh, you know, astronomical it is and how bad it is, you know, they equated to how we finance houses, right? The government finances debt the same way. You know, I mean, do I agree with it going as high as it does? No. But ideally, if the government, you know, was being more frugal, just like every other human in, in the United States, you could have mm-hmm. debt paid off significantly faster. But that's why they finance debt for 30 years. So am I concerned that the national debt is at $31 trillion? Partially, you know what I mean? If it continues to keep rising and, and you know, our revenue is not rising, then that's a problem, you know what I mean? But, you know, if, if the government's revenue is rising, that means they're taxing us more, you know what I mean? So that's not something you want to hear. That's not something people want, you know what I mean? But, you know, ideally, you know what I mean, saying that, you know, we have this debt and it's out of control, I do agree it's out of control. I'm not arguing that point. But what I'm saying is for people to say that it's that it's like impossible for us to pay its bills. I mean, according to the debt clock I'm looking at, they make they make five trillion a year. I mean, hell, they can pay their bills just fine. But the problem is they spend above what they take in. That's right. So they That's right. Now we talked about the look before. at the, uh, the solution. To this the solution this, is very simple. Look at the debt per well, citizen. Look at the debt per citizen, then per taxpayer no. for both federal and state. Well, you tell uh, – and because I don't believe in saying per citizen because you're talking about children. But per taxpayer, you're talking about 248582 on the federal debt. Then for state debt per taxpayer, uh, it's per citizen. Here is $3,712. Yeah, 
Yeah, but no, I'm Pianchi, sorry. That, yeah, $6,890. Pianchi, that measurement doesn't matter because we're not the citizens are not going to come up with $200,000. That's not how it's going to work. Now, Derek and I have talked about this before. In fact, uh, with our constitutional amendment, this is why I brought that up with, uh, with David Stockman yesterday, which I think he liked the idea, but uh, – kind of dismissed it fairly quickly too oh, that's okay I, I expect that i don't think people say well this already he was talking oh, about wait a, a minute. Wait, wait, wait 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 a minute let me let me let me finish this thing here so the, the whole point of this the whole point of what we've talked about before with the constitutional amendment uh to stop congress from borrowing any more money is that the taxpayers don't have to pay it off because as as, as derek said 30 or 40 years if you just stop congress from borrowing money then as these bonds that are owed to these individuals, the $26 billion plus the other things like that, it's going to get paid off anyway. The government pays the debt. They pay the interest on the debt every year, and they pay whatever the bonds that come due are. So we don't have to worry about it. All we really have to do, this is why I wrote this bill, is to stop the borrowing. Once you stop the borrowing, it's only a matter of time before the previous borrowing is paid off. Derek, is that about right? Right. right. Yeah, okay. no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, and I mean, my... I mean, my big concern is is I mean, it, it, look, you can you can fear factor people into everything. You know, what I mean, if right. if people only invested in gold and you know banks and held all their cash because they're trying to avoid stuff, they're not going to keep up with inflation. You know, and and their money's going to pass them by. You know, what I mean, so mm-hmm. I just don't I don't think that's bad advice for. I mean, there's per, certain times that people should shelter up. Fine, you know, what I mean, if you wanted to shelter up. You know, as soon as the Fed started saying they were raising the rate, if you weren't in the long game for the market, you should have you should have like thinned your thinned your holdings out. You know what I mean? And I I tell people that I'm like, hey, look, we're it's going to be a bumpy road ahead. I don't know what kind of bumpy road it's going to look like, but when the Fed's raising rates, it's never a good thing. You know what I mean? So you know, it's it's like, hey, all right, let's use ready. that. Let's use that analogy you two just put out there, where the, the government can pay for it. Well, let's pay black people the seventy-seven trillion that they say they owe through reparations. I mean, let's pay all the Irish people that were also. It's a bit quiet, doesn't it? That were also. Say that no, because you have black economists, you have black economists that say economists, they very knowledgeable say that what each black person, a black community in the United States is owed about seventy-seven trillion. Matter of fact, you have people in the world seem to say the same thing. So let's just print that up and pay it. I mean, yeah, sure, that's, as, long that's kind of the, as long as you pay all the slaves. You know what I mean? If you play, yeah, you pay I'm willing to pay anybody that was under slavery. Over here. Yeah. Do it all. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm willing to give reparations well, it's not to anybody just for slavery. It's not just for slavery. It's for the lost uh, wealth that would have, that has been caused by Jim Crow segregation and all these other Wait things. Wait a minute. The lack of the let me finish. The lack of the lack of being able to participate in the GI Bill and certain things like that nature. Sure, I mean I, I'm not sure how this applies to the to the argument that we're talking about, but I mean asking <laughs> you shall receive, man. I mean like I mean yeah, it sounds to me like you it sounds it, like you've got concerned about other things rather than the national debt. Yeah, yeah the government is uh, – you got a town in Illinois called Evanston. Evanston, and also you're doing the same thing in California where they're talking about paying blacks uh, in Evanston X number of dollars because of the segregation and that that they experienced in that town. And California is doing the same thing, talking about paying each black person $240,000. 
for what they experience in California. That's welfare. That's 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 each state. Jackie, hold up on that. I want to get to Derek's report. Each state has its own budget. So, I mean, what the states do is is entirely up to them. That has nothing to do with the federal budget. Yeah. So, Derek, let's get to the report. I know you only have you for about 10 more minutes. I want to get to the report and see what else is going on. But the reparations thing, it's just – it's a dead issue because it's a stupid issue. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, Derek. Yeah. All righty. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Derek Park with Edward Jones bringing you the daily financial market report. Stocks finished higher today in a risk-on move, possibly driven by reports that supply chain costs are coming down across the board, that the used car prices are also lower at the start of the year, and the trend suggests further softening. Treasury yields climbed as investors worry about the Fed rate hike uh, further than currently expected if inflation proves sticky on the months to come. All eyes are on the PPI index and to be released tomorrow as a sign for the path of inflation. On the international front, European and Asian shares are lower. Oil fell in the afternoon, now trading around $71 a barrel. The U.S. equities closed higher today with the Dow Jones up 184 points, or 0.55%, to 33,781. NASDAQ closed up 123 points, or 1.13%, to 11,000. Uh, 82, and the S&P closed up 30 points, or 0.75 to 39.64. In the bond market, the 10-year Treasury yield is trading at 3.49%, higher by 0.08. In the commodity markets, crude oil was down 57 cents, or 0.79% to 77.44, and the spot price of gold was up $2.10, or 0.12 to $1,800.10. This is Derek Park of Edward Jones. Remember, SIPC, you can get me at 850 yeah, well, you know what's interesting about that is, uh, first of all, that the market's up. Are, are, are people adjusting to this inflation somehow, or is it just the big institutional folks are using this as a buying opportunity because everybody's panicking and selling? Or why would the markets be up at this particular time? Or is it the end of the year and they want a tax break? You know, I mean, the markets aren't necessarily up. You have to understand for the year the markets are still down. Um, you know, I mean, the the – the Dow just barely got out of bear territory. You know, I mean, barely got out of bear territory, went back in, and then got back out. You know, so okay. bear territory is negative 20%. So the Dow itself is 20% from what it was a year ago, right, or or, there, or close thereof, right? Oh, um, okay. So they never give the whole number. You know, they always say yeah. the market's up 10 points, and I'm like, 10 points from what? Where was it? You know, so, yeah, yeah you're right. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's up for the day. <laughs> um, you right. know, I mean, it's oh, not okay. necessarily up for the year. So I mean we're gonna we're gonna end up closing the year out in negative numbers. I mean the S and P five hundred okay. down, you know, twenty, twenty five, twenty four percent from what it was, NASDAQ, you know, twenty, twenty eight ish. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, each index is is got its own problems, you know. So when they say the market's up, it's it's talking current and then next um, you know, is is uh you know, they'll they'll give you what the year closed out at, if that makes sense. Right. So that makes sense. I just wish they'd say the market you know, or, or like give a trend, say, okay, so the market's up five points, but it's down, you know, 15 points for the year or, or something like that, or the average, just so that we know, or when they say it's up five points, it's five points from what, you know, and I, I don't have a reference point when they do that. And I've always wondered why they don't give you a reference point. All right. Let's, they mentioned used cars. This is the first time I've seen that show in the report. What, why would that be in, in the, uh, the report now? What's, what's significant about used cars? And the price of them. Um, it's, it's it's such a big market. Um, you know, the used okay. car market, um, you know, was was the thing that was driving inflation right off the gate. Uh, used cars went up from, 
you know, uh, you know, an average increase of roughly three percent up to like twenty. You know, what I mean, they were increasing by 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 uh, segments of twenty percent, and new cars went up something like fifteen. Then they stayed that way for for quite a long time. So, um, I'll, I'll tell you this: uh, I, I heard a statistic from from a, a big manager of a of a car place. Um, all these used cars that were bought like at auction and stuff like that by these car companies uh-huh. to sell, they're getting their rear right. end handed to them. You know, <laughs> so. You know, it's it's they're coming down so quick that they can't keep up with it. So they bought these and they're having to sell them. You know, it basically what they paid for them to just get rid of them. Wow. Yeah. So so um, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty bad. But yeah, there's I think there's 14 metrics that go into the inflation number, and I'd have to pull them all up. Um, you know, but that's like food costs, fuel costs, uh, used cars, hotels. Um, you know, I mean, I had to look at all of them cause I can't recite all of them, but you know I mean? They, right. they take all of these items and say, okay, these are the items that are purchased on a regular basis. Um, you know, what's their price margins. Huh. Prices in food is just about double in lunch meat, like Oscar Meyer, uh, honey baked ham used to be four eighty nine a pound. Now it's over $9. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, uh, food costs up roughly 30% from what they were a year or two ago. So how do they say eight percent? How do they get away with saying eight percent inflation when everything else is up, you know, thirty to fifty percent? That just doesn't make sense. Because it's an average. It's an average of all. It's an average. Yep. So 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 what they do is they say while while food costs (laughs) food costs might be up thirty percent, it's not all food costs, right? So they say okay, you know, food over this year moved by thirty percent. Well, while it might move by thirty percent overall based on the price it averages out to like, you know, a, a different number. You know what I mean? The market does the same thing. If the market moves by 2 or 3% per day, for example, that's actually quite a lot. Let's just say it moves by half a percent per a day. You know, by the end okay. of the year, you could be like, well, from what it was to what it is was a 30% movement. But if you average it out, it's going to be like, okay, it was 8%. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, but I'm wondering if there are different indexes, like uh, for unemployment, there's U1, U2, U3. And they always give the best one. Is like three percent or whatever it is, but if you take the the way it used to be measured before Clinton, who changed all the numbers, you know, during Obama's time, it was like twenty percent, even though he was reporting, you know, four percent or five percent. So, are there different right, measures right. of inflation? Are there different categories of inflation where they break it down into, you know, I one, I two, you know, I six, like they do for unemployment, U one, U three, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, do I'm, I'm not sure. A gallon of milk in Alaska is over nine dollars. And oh yeah, well I mean it was that's because it's already I was stationed. I was stationed in in uh, in Hawaii, and and that's pretty common because it's hard. It's hard to get out there. It's like they they have to ship stuff in, fly stuff in. It's not connected to the continental U.S., so those two places do experience higher costs. I mean, I think a loaf of bread is like six dollars. Yeah, now this is in Anchorage. It's not in one of those. It's not St. Lawrence. In Anchorage, you can drive that to Anchorage, leave out of Detroit, go across Canada right into Anchorage, over $9 a gallon. It's yeah, still not connected it to mainland U.S. <laughs> they can't drive trucks over there. They have to ship. They have Anchorage to fly. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But Anchorage is on the coast. I've been to Anchorage. It's it's on the coastline. There's a, you know, there's a huge seaport right there. But, of course, that takes time. It's not, it's not like the trucks. Trucks are still the most efficient. Which brings us to the price of oil below $80. This fascinates me. 
because I know Brandon's running out of strategic petroleum reserve. I'm still convinced that the leftists want to get rid of it completely. That's what this is all about. But have the Saudis not cut their production back? How do they all get to $77? And is that under $3 a gallon around here now? That's weird. You have to understand it's, it's, some of it is use. Um, you know, like, like what are people using? If we're heading into a recession, um, you know, people tend to bottle up. Um, so that means they're traveling less. Um, you know, so now usage is going down. And then typically when recessions are happening, um, you know, I mean, uh, uh, oil tends to go backwards. Um, you know, I mean, so I think that's what you're, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the result of that. So the Saudis can even cut production, but if everybody's bottling up and there's less people traveling, I mean, there's still going to be a glut. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's where the, I think Biden is probably hoping so they can start refilling the strategic oil reserve. So if we had, you know, we we should be still in office, would there be, would we still be producing at the same level and would gas, gasoline be still where it was? Are there any other factors beyond the, the self-imposed, you know, reduction in our oil supply that, that, would, that, caused, that caused us the problems we have here? So what would happen if, 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 they, if Trump were just steaming along as he had before uh, and production were wide open? Would we still be energy dominant and gas still be, you know, $1.85 a gallon? Um, I would say probably, probably at least decently. I mean, if that makes sense. I know that. that I'm just wondering that if anything else has changed, because the only yeah. thing that seems to have changed is that we've cut back on production and supply hugely. The rest of the world, well, they've got problems with Ukraine and things like that, but for the most part, if this is a worldwide market, you know, and there were restrictions from Russia, wouldn't we be able to sell tons of oil if we were under Trump energy policies? That's what I'm wondering. Oh, I'm sure. You know, I mean, like we we could be selling oil for profit. Um, I want to say that I saw a statistic that U.S. is is the biggest oil producer. Right. Yeah. But then, but see, but this is but this is their this ideological oil, and then there's you know Trump oil. Trump oil is like, well, it's in the ground. Let's get yeah. it. You know, we got plenty. Of, yeah. We got a couple You're, hundred years worth at least. What's the problem? I mean, a couple of hundred years, US we'll is, probably have you know yeah. particle beam transporters <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. The U.S. is the biggest so, oil producer by almost a double margin. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So we got I didn't know it was that big. Yeah. yeah. So this is just what they found so far. We don't know what they haven't found yet. Sure. You know, and plus new technologies. You know, fracking wasn't around forever. Uh, and so all these new technologies and different ways of doing this. And at some point, I think a lot of oil can be recycled. You know, you can get recycled oil for your cars. They just take out the impurities and put in the additives again. It's the additives that go bad, not the oil. That's how I understand it. Right. Oil stays pretty much the same. So, so they sure. get rid of it because I guess either cost enough. I don't. Do they do they reprocess oil? I mean, can, if it's really that bad, I'm sure that the recycling, reclaiming of oil. Oh yeah. They can't replace the gas. They can, they can reclaim it. Okay. Yeah, they can reclaim so it. Yeah. Yeah. Oil can definitely be recycled. Um, you know, I yeah. mean, it's, it's oil, uh, grease, tar, you know, the oil. All of it. Yeah. The, well, they use other petroleum products for it. You know, I mean, products that, that after, it, you know, it's been burned, you know, they can use it for other lubricants and things like, you know, for locks and, you know, I mean, it's 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 dunnage, you know what I mean? But it still has some of its viscosity, if, uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, but so now it's, it's interesting to think that demand I know you have to go in a minute here, uh, but the demand has dropped so much. The demand has already dropped below 
the supply of this drops. <laughs> so, so the price is still coming down, not because even with the restricted supply, because nobody's using it. I mean, traffic is lighter out there. I can see it for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Where's the Christmas traffic? Oh yeah, I mean it's I, like I said, you know, I mean if if consumer spending is low, Greg, I mean you know it's 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 not there. I mean I, I was just at the mall last week, and I mean the mall was plenty busy. <laughs> so well, it know, better I mean, be. It's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I mean it's it's that that naturally happens. I mean if you go back and look at every uh, recession that we've had and what oil has done. It typically uh-huh. every time you're in the recession, oil has gone lower. You know, what I mean, um, it creates a good time to buy oil. Like I said, I think the happy place, you know, for everybody. Um, I mean, I think we're in it between seventy and eighty dollars a barrel. Everybody loves it when it's lower than that. I'm not arguing that, but I'm just saying, like, you know, it, it's if it hovers there, nobody complains about it. Is what I'm saying. You know, hey, it's, it's yeah, tolerable. Think- Does that make sense? Well, I think $3, at the retail level, $3 is kind of like the cutoff. Once you get into $3, you're thinking, now nah, we don't need exactly. this. This is crazy. Yeah. But, but $2 yeah, so, gasoline? So I, I agree. You know, between, yeah. Between, uh, you know, dollar eighty-five is nice, but two eighty-five is not that big a hardship because you're talking about in a 20-gallon in a tank, it's just 20 more dollars. That's a whole lot different right. than 4 and $5 gasoline. Now you're talking 60 to $80 more per tank full. That's painful. Is, uh, yeah, so it'd be interesting to start complaining. Okay, um, anything else we should be watching in the weeks ahead? Christmas forecasts. We got Christmas coming up. I'm sure you'll be taking off some weeks. I think everybody will. I might just, uh, you know, we got our anniversary show on the 24th, but that's a Saturday, so probably done on the 23rd. Uh, but if you're not here, I understand. So let me know what your schedule is as, as things go on. But uh, I'll, I'll probably do a show, but we'll pick it up uh, uh, in January. So any, any forecasts for the new year? You want to you want to guess <laughs> what's going on? Uh, uh, no, not really. Right. I mean, I, I, I think. Uh, well, I'm, I'm looking now while we're while we're sitting here talking because the inflation report obviously has just spooked the market. So, I'm I'm uh, I'm waiting to see. The What's inflation report is obviously not that good. So I'm waiting to see what it says. But this article is not written very well. So, yeah, I'm gonna have yeah. To let's, let's see. And that's what I tried to get from uh, Stockman yesterday was the relationship of recession and inflation. And he really never answered mm-hmm. that question. Are they independent? Let me ask you that question. Are they are they independent of each other, or is there? I don't think there's a direct relationship, but I'm sure they they impact each other. And that the inflation bad enough causes the recession, but the recession bad enough actually lowers the inflation because it lowers the demand. Is that the relationship, basically? Um. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's simple. In a nutshell. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Sorry. I'm I'm trying to multitask here. Yeah, consumer uh, price index basically stayed the same. It didn't go anywhere down. It just went sideways. Well, that's the loss, actually, because this is Christmas time. Retail sales should be going through the roof. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, I just saw another statistic that said that uh, consumer spending is a little lower than expected. And was it expected to be lower still? Was it expected to be lower anyway? No, it was expected to be higher. You know, so that's that's, oh. that's a good thing that 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 you know it's lower than what what they were expecting this year. Oh, because that lowers demand. So they really are trying to yeah. kill demand to to reduce uh, to reduce yeah. this thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. 
Well, listen, have fun. Let's uh, let's do it next week. Why don't you give yourself uh, another shameless plug, uh, and then I'll play some stuff, and then I have an interview. Uh, you might want to listen to this one, too. Mark Thornton of the Mises Institute was on with me at WGBY. I'm going to try and get him back on because it's been since 2017. He did two shows with us that were just unbelievable. Uh, and so uh, another another great economics interview if you want to uh, take that one on. So thanks for your critique of David Stockman. I do appreciate that a lot because that was interesting. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to critique him in a negative light. I mean, it's just uh, no, 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 some I, of the statistics I, I I struggle with, and I and I'm not a big fan of of you know doom and gloom. You know, what I mean, like there's always going to be doom and gloom in the market, always. Right. You know what I mean? It's never going to go away. But you know, what I mean, if all you do is perpetuate fear in people, it's it's uh, it, you're also it, the only other thing that you have to invest in um, is is real estate. You know what I mean? Real estate or the market is the only places that you're going to make money unless you're producing something or selling something, right? You know, so right. um, you know, there's there's no other way to really have a return on your money that's going to be more consistent. The long term return of gold is like three and a half percent. You know, what I mean, like there's been times where gold has produced like a twenty, thirty percent return, just like the market has, right? You know, but if you average it out, it's it's you know, it doesn't come out that great. The long-term return in the S&P 500 is like 8.5%, right? Yeah. So what do you want, a 35 to 4% return or an 8% return? Yeah, you take more risk with the S&P 500, but in order for it to go away, you know what I mean, and to fear people in that, I mean, you're talking about 25% of the world's economy, right? You know what I mean? If If we go away, the world falls into – I can't even tell you what the world would fall into because I think – uh, the U.S. is 80% of the world's food supply or 70, 75%. It's ridiculous. You know, I mean, a huge number. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, we can doom and gloom people all day long. But, you know, the end result <laughs> is, is, is our, our economy has to perpetuate. Yeah, I'm not a doom and gloom person because I know this is all government uh, uh, caused. You know, that's what the yeah. document did say. That, uh, that there's no reason for what we're experiencing. In fact, if they would just leave us alone and go away for the most part, most of the stuff would take care of itself. If they stopped borrowing, if they stopped spending, if we uh, – he didn't like the Fed. I mean I, I think that we should just have a uh, Congress to just set, the, set the, you know, the money supply at a certain level and leave it, you know, whatever yeah. that level yeah. would be. Can you do that? I if agree with the, the money supply and, uh, alone. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, um, you know, the military, military budget, you know what I mean? Find a budget, find a happy place, and leave it the hell alone. You know what I mean? Like I understand that there might be projects that need to come in and, and stuff like that, and those can be approved on a on a case by case basis, right? But you know, what I mean, we already have the most advanced military by tenfold over almost anywhere. I mean, China's rapidly aggressively approaching, right? Um, right. You know, but we still do. I mean, I, do we really need a you know, 120 million or billion dollar joint strike fighter, you know, F-35, when the F-22 is already like the top of the rung, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I can't justify that. Well, no, it's, it's to spend well, money. The thing with uh, the... that Paul, Paul Spray said that, the Canadian uh, aviation analyst said that the reason for the F-35 is to spend money for the military industrial complex, because it's a terrible airplane. Go ahead, Bianca, then right. I got one more airplane to run by Derek. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, well, fighter jets of the future is not going to be manned for two reasons. One, they have a hard time finding pilots. Then the things that's required of the maneuverability of those uh, planes, human bodies can't withstand. No, they'll be drones. They'll be, we'll have a drone air force, and uh, you know, uh, and I, well, aircraft carriers are already obsolete because of missiles. 
you know, but you can't tell the right. Navy that they like the craft carriers because they're big. <laughs> it's true. So, I, you know, we, we talked about that a couple of years ago with Dr. Peter Pry. So here's a question for you, Derek. Right. Um, we haven't yeah. really talked about the defense sector of the economy. I know you got to go, but this will be for next week, maybe. Uh, the B-21, $2 billion in airplane. And it's a bomb. Yeah. Bombers are obsolete. <laughs> you know, there's no reason. Hypersonic missiles, right? The, the, the bombers are gone. There's just no reason for them. Uh, uh, and the same thing with and the F-22 or the F-35. F-22 is a great airplane. I've seen it in nationals. That thing's unbelievable. You know, but yeah. compared no, I've, to I've uh, seen it, the, I've seen yeah. it operate. So what do you know? <laughs> Did, did you get an aviation background when you were in the military at all, or no? No, but I did have a missile background, and we have to we have to talk with with the the uh, you know the Air Force quite often, and we have to know the capabilities of every aircraft because my secondary role was basically to call for call for aircraft, um, fast movers or bombers. So I mean, you have to know exactly what their what their um, what their speeds or capabilities are, what, what payloads they can carry, what um, observation equipment they have. I mean, you have to know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. See, I'd be interested, you know, and Piaki's a pilot too. Um, in fact, I hope to, yeah. to get my, my Action Radio 1 jet that we can go fly in. But from what you can tell us, I'd be really curious if you want to do a little bit on the F-35 and the B-21, just as, as you know, cost-effective and are they needed in a, in a modern missile world. I don't think they are. I think they're totally useless and they're just spending money. I would, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, like, you know, is there, is there a need to upgrade stuff every once in a while or every five, 10 years? Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is there a need to, to, to keep things going in some way, shape or form? Yes, but not in the capacity that we do it, you know? So yeah, um, yeah I'll, I'll look at it, Greg, but yeah, I do got to get. Okay. That sounds good. Hey, listen, I appreciate the extra yep. time and have a great yep. week. We'll talk, we'll talk to you guys Friday. Friday. All, right. all right. All right. Thanks very much. There yeah, we go. Bye. All right. So let's, <laughs> okay, I'm going to play a couple things. I'm going to play an interview. Uh, I'll be back after uh, after a break here, uh, and I want to kind of set up this interview with uh, Mark Thorne because it really was incredible. I mean, it's just it's it's, it's uh, uh, some really great stuff. It's weird talking on my cell phone. I think actually, Pianchi, I may have uh, judged Blog Talk a little harshly. Uh, I think it's time to change my mic cord. I usually change it every six months. I don't know why it breaks down, but it's because maybe because I use it every day. But uh, just maybe the unraveling and the coiling up for some reason, maybe that's part of the problem. But uh, I'll, I'll figure out something with it. Anyway, let me play uh, a couple things for us here, and I'll be right back um, in just a little bit with uh, WEBY Classic Interview. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements, and we have three minute live call ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. 
Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From Addiction to Achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. Radio, dangerously cool. Okay, so I'm back on the cell phone. I think I'll try Monday. I've got a, a spare mic cord, and I'll give that a shot. Headset cord seems to keep working. <laughs> For some reason, the mic cord seems to go bad after six months. So maybe that's uh, causing our problems today. All right, so I'm here with Pianchi, and I've got um, an interview that I did back in 2017. Let me pull up the exact I think it was August. Um, so I'd, I'd been at WBY a while. I love playing these WBY interviews because we got some really good people, and I had a producer, and it was it was fun. It was you know regular radio commercial, you know the whole bit, uh, and then of course um, that got bought out, and that was that. But what was interesting uh, about this particular interview is that Mark Thornton, he's a, a senior fellow, which I've always wondered what that term was at the Mises Institute. Now Mises is an organization in. Um, in Auburn University. So they're in Mississippi. They're, they're not that far away from me here. And so Auburn, one of the, I guess the big football school, but it's, it's a beautiful campus. I actually drove through it. Um, lots of red brick. I mean, it's gorgeous up there. And so at some point I'm going to take a trip, hopefully broadcast, uh, maybe from the Mises Institute for a show or two. 
but uh, it's a great place. Fascinating economist. Mark's one of the senior folks there. And I had a, I actually did this interview, and you'll hear me mention it a couple of times, that I really need him back because we only just got started talking about economics. It's a complex topic. I know we're covering a lot today, but I kind of like to – you know, have a theme for a show. So for the economics fans, you know, you'll be able to uh, uh, to go over this one. I mean, Derek had a great critique of uh, of uh, David Stockman. And so I, I found an interview with him yesterday pretty fascinating, too. And you never know. Maybe he will become an advocate for our, our, uh, our constitutional amendment to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. seems to me that would stop most of the problems that we have. Anyway, typical interview. Uh, it, it mentions WEBY and the phone number is phone number for, for them doesn't exist anymore because uh, they're basically an automated sports station. Our number, 215-383-3832. And, oh, that's interesting. My, my live chat got kind of taken off. So our number here, 215-383-3832. Uh, and the, uh, the other number you'll hear, and you'll hear the call letters and things like that. So we're at blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. So present day here, we're going to jump back about five years. Let me see the date on this. Uh, Mark Thornton, August 29th of 2017. And so let me see, Mark, you haven't So I've been in uh, full-time radio for about six months at this point. And I think it's a pretty cool interview. Anyway, um, like I said, we, we skip over the commercials and the news breaks and just give you the essence of the interview. And I'll be back. It's about 42 minutes, um, about 43 minutes. So I'll talk to you at the end of that. All right. Take care. Oh, me, sounds like a phone call. <laughs> I'm rambling. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm beat today. This has been a crazy week. So let me play this and I'll be back uh, at the end of this interview. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Time to get into one of my, my favorite topics here. Probably one of the most misunderstood, misused uh, things that we hear about every single day is economics. You know, whether it's stock market reports or uh, inflation or unemployment or all these things going on, it all comes under the great heading of economics. So uh, every once in a while, it's really nice to get somebody that knows what they're talking about so we can explain those things to us. And so we have a very special guest I would like to introduce at this time. He is a senior fellow at the Mises Institute. He serves as the book reviewer editor of the Quarterly Journal of Austrian Economics. His books include The Economics of Prohibition, Terrorist Blockades and Inflation, The Economics of the Civil War, The Quotable Mises, The Bastiat Collection, An Essay on Economic Theory, and The Bastiat Reader. Please welcome my very special guest, Mark Thornton. All right, hand around the applause, and the crowd goes wild. Mark Thornton, how are you? Hey, I'm great. I'm glad to be on the air with you. Oh, good. I'm so glad you're here. Now, the Mises Institute, you're not too far away from us. We're here in, in uh, Milton, Florida, and you're in uh, Alabama, right? At Auburn? We're in Auburn, Alabama, and it's a beautiful ride down to Pensacola. Oh, there you go. Well, how can we locate it there, just out of curiosity, as opposed to Washington or where all the other think tanks are? Well, you know, Auburn University is here, and it's had a long uh, tradition of... Uh, free markets here, and uh, and so we didn't want to locate in Washington, D.C. We didn't want to locate in New York City. That's not who we're trying to teach and influence. Um, you know, to, those are very expensive places uh, to live and to work, and so being here in Auburn, Alabama, it's inexpensive, and it's uh, where our audience is, mm. and uh, we love it here. Uh, we've been here for 33 years now. Oh, cool. And... Uh, bigger and better than ever. Okay. Who are you trying to teach and influence then? The American people, the people of the world. Okay. Um, you know, we're not uh, talking to Washington, D.C. We're not trying to influence them. We believe that 
um, as Americans and as citizens of the world learn about uh, the truth about economics, uh, that they'll force the politicians to do the right things. And, you know, talking to politicians is a losing battle. Okay. Uh, we have to influence the hearts and the minds of everyday Americans. Hmm. So you're a senior fellow. I've always been curious about that term. What does that mean exactly? Well, it's kind of a nebulous term. I mean, I'm here, I'm doing research, okay. um, I'm writing, um, I'm teaching. Here in our programs, we have programs for undergraduates, graduate students, uh, academics, and we have conferences around the country for uh, just the regular citizens. And so, you know, I do a lot of different things, okay. uh, but it all comes under that rubric of, you know, I'm not the oldest person here. <laughs> well, that is say you were the senior fellow, just a yeah. senior. Okay, I, I was just curious how that title because I hear that in different different places, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, what exactly that means. And it, it always seems to mean something different depending on the organization. So I got a ton of questions for you here. We're going to kind of start, you know, basic and get progressively more complex. And callers are welcome anytime six two three thirteen thirty as we try and make sense of a very uh, difficult topic. So let's talk about the the Mises Institute. Uh, what do you guys do there? Well, you know, we're a nonprofit uh, economic education foundation, and uh, we, we publish books, we have newsletters, we have one of the greatest economic web pages in the world, it's M-I-S-E-S.org, and it's written for everybody. It's not written, you know, with jargon, it's not written with mathematical formulas, it's everyday, ordinary economics um, and it's one of the largest economic web pages in the world uh, where you can download not just our Mises Daily article, but we have a blog. And uh, you can actually download uh, books. And, uh, you know, it's, it's humongous, really. It's, yeah. it's almost, That's an economic term, isn't it, humongous? You can actually measure that, right? Uh, well, you know, uh, <laughs> I asked one time, because I'm not a techie in any respect, okay. you know, how much, uh, you know, how would – the the tech people measure it and they said something about you know there's we've got downloads of uh 20 terabytes per month or something like that oh and i that's calculated i calculated that would be um 29 billion um copies of henry hazlitt's economics in one lesson uh so it's a lot of traffic and it's it's the interest in what we do is worldwide as a matter of fact we have a summer uh, fellows program where we bring in graduate students and new PhDs okay. uh, here at the uh, at the institute, and about half of them are from other countries. Oh, interesting. So local people here, if they want to learn more about this, they can come for like summer sessions, special programs, all kinds of different things you have, right? Absolutely, and, and you know it. the first the first uh, uh, step is to go to the webpage okay. org and then just look for what you're interested in, um, and a lot of our conferences are actually broadcast on the internet as well so it makes it easy oh interesting do you ever have uh, congress folks like could i send and uh, recommend my congressman to go learn economic stuff before the budget battle for example yeah that would be nice, <laughs> <laughs> the only congressman that's ever been here that i'm aware of is congressman ron paul of texas Oh, now, that's fascinating. I mean, uh, now, he's very much, I guess, in favor. Of, we're going to get into what the, the, uh, the Mises is and von Mises himself and, and what, the, you know, what you stand for. But why Ron Paul, do you think? Just, be, just because he is such a free market uh, libertarian person? Oh, yes. And he's been involved with the Mises Institute uh, from the very beginning. Oh, okay. The Mises Institute was founded by Lou Rockwell. Okay. And Lou Rockwell was Ron Paul's uh, first chief of staff 
when he went into Congress. Oh, interesting. And so Ron has been very, very uh, helpful and influential in the growth of the Mises Institute. And uh, Lou Rockwell just recently stepped down as the president of the Mises Institute and became its uh, chairman. Okay. Uh, and he was replaced by Jeff Dice, who was Ron Paul's last chief of staff in Washington. So while we're not actively trying to influence Washington, we have had some very important people come to us okay. from Washington, D.C. So now I'm trying to actively you know, influence Washington. That's the whole point of uh, what I want to do, which is turn talk radio into action radio. So you could be an incredible resource for me. Um, what I want to do is actually write bills on the air once our, our website is up and running properly and uh, be able to take uh, regular folks and be able to you know, put, uh, put very simple bills into, into action and have them go directly to Washington. If we could have some economic backup for things, I think that would be incredibly uh, useful and could really expand you know, what we want to do with, with citizen legislatures in ways that have never been done before. Yes, and that's a great opportunity for American citizens to send a message okay. uh, to Washington, D.C. I think we're doing that, and I think we're uh, very often sending good messages to Washington, D.C., uh, in contrast to just clamors for more money and more spending and, you know, more uh, government largesses, um, you know, I think if we send Washington, D.C. a message of getting back to constitutional government uh, would be a great start. Yeah. Funny you should say that. I sent you my article on the, the constitutional budget. Uh, what do you think? Oh, I think that's a great first step is, you know, to prevent Congress supposed to do yeah. and spend money on what it's not supposed to spend money on, uh, that would be a great place uh, to start. I think you can go much further than that. I think that the things that the Constitution authorizes, I think we're very often spending way too much money on those things as well. Okay. And so I think that's a great great place to start. Yeah. What I'm hoping is that maybe you can pick up on that, take that article, and then put out a more of a detailed report, because you've got a lot more resources than I do and reach a lot more people, um, as to say what the government should be doing, and just have that maybe as an annual thing where you say, this is, this is, here's a constitutional budget based on you know, Article 1, Section 8 for today, and here's what your government is spending money on, and kind of have that, like a contrasting report, and it might be interesting to see where we should be compared to where we are. Just a thought. Yeah, it's a great article, and I, I would highly recommend it to everybody out there in your audience. Okay. Well, they, they hear enough of me. But anyway, you said I wrote an article called The Constitutional Budget. It's in Canada Free Press. I took Article 1, Section 8, the only authorized powers where Congress can spend money, and attached budget figures to them. I picked the departments that came under those things and uh, basically put their, their last recorded budget, put it together. It came out to about $1.1 trillion compared to, I think, the $4.5 trillion that they're spending now, something like that. So it was about a quarter. Of, uh, of what the budget actually is, is constitutional. Interesting. Um, got a, we're going to take a break in a little bit here, but before we do that, I want to find out what Austrian economics is. Can you kind of walk us through from the beginning? And i got some quotes from your website here. I want to go over various people of Austrian economists. But what is Austrian economics compared to, say, classical or what, whatever we're doing now? Well, economists in Austria in the 19th century fixed a lot of the problems in the classical school of Adam Smith and John Stuart Mill. They never got uh, some important uh, points about supply and demand and cost and price. They never got those things cleared up. And, and those, Aust those economists in Austria fixed those problems and really moved economics forward um, by a giant leap. And uh, so 
the socialist economists use the term Austrian school of economics as a derogatory term. Oh. Yeah. And so, but we, we embrace that, you know, and uh, so it's not economics about Austria. It's just that the original economists were Austrian. Now it it's uh, very big in the United States, and it's uh, very big and growing. I'd like to say that uh, the Austrian school is the oldest living school of economics. It's the fastest growing school of economics, and yet it's still the smallest school of economics. And it's based all on logic, deduction, and common sense. Okay. Uh, it's not based on statistics and mathematical modeling the way mainstream economics approaches things. It's a very well-grounded school of thought uh, based in common sense. That's what most people outside the non-Austrian economists, people who just read Austrian economics, they think it's just good old-fashioned common sense. Uh, but it is; it does have a scientific method and a scientific approach um, where you use rigorous uh, logic and deductions to come about uh, with economic laws that you can then uh, easily apply to uh, anything out there from balancing the budget to the minimum wage law. Yeah, and that's exactly what I want to do in the course of this interview is, is talk about the basic laws from the Austrian School of Economics and then bring those onto those bigger issues as we go through. And we'll do that in a little bit. But you, you make the same point that uh, Dr. Walter Williams made when I had him on. He's an economics professor and former head of George Mason uh, School in D.C. And what he was saying was he teaches real economics and it's not so much math. So before we take a break, can you tell me how math screws up uh, economic understanding? <laughs> well, that's a very good question. Uh, but with math and statistics, you can come about, you can come up with just about anything, basically. And okay. so, you know, in mainstream economics, they did statistical studies and found out that increasing the minimum wage actually increased employment. And uh, that that's was, insane. Yeah, I know <laughs> it is. But, you know, w w you can twist, you can twist everything if you, if you, if you're not bound by the laws of logic and economics, supply and demand, uh, then anything is anything is possible. Anything, any outrageous thing, uh, basically can be justified. And uh, you know, you can find a few numbers uh, that will provide a justification for for just about everything. And so Austrians are kind of locked down. We 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 can't venture beyond uh, the laws of economics. And so. We have our limitations as well. Um, we can't tell you, you know, the magnitude of changes or the timing of the business cycle, uh, things of that nature. So, and I, I feel very comfortable, you know, having being locked into uh, this very rigorous system. And by the way, Walter Williams is an excellent economist. He doesn't call himself an Austrian, but he's very, I would say, comfortable with. Uh, Austrian economics, because George Mason, where mm. he was the chairman for many years, um, is uh, one of those places that accepts Austrian economics as part of its uh, part of its teaching, and, and that's one of the very few schools uh, that actually have Austrian economists on its faculty. 
Oh, interesting. Uh, are there? We have to take a break. <laughs> when we come back, I want to find out if there are government agencies that, that work at all on Austrian economics. We'll find out who von Mises is and just a ton more things to do. Uh, I'm going to have to have you back. <laughs> we're, just, we're only going to scratch the surface today. So my guest is Mark Thornton, who's a senior fellow at the Mises Institute. He's got a ton of really great articles on the website, too, particularly, I think, the most recent one. Here's an easy way to add some market competition back into healthcare, which I was reading last night as well. We'll be right back in just a little bit on 1330 WEBY. But it can buy me a bullet It can buy me a Yeti one pen I stand with some silver bullets Yeah, I know what they say Money can't buy everything Well, maybe so But it can buy me a boat <laughs> You know, I was thinking to myself, how is A-Dog going to get economic bumper music? And he came through. It just never fails. That's A-Dog, the world's greatest producer, Mark, who's uh, applying us with things like that. Yeah. Who says money can't buy happiness? Why, if that were the case, why would people try so hard to make money? So, uh, question, sir. Who was Ludwig von Mises? Well, that's a great question. Uh, the namesake of the Institute. Uh, he was born in the ni- late 19th century in Austria. And he was from a noble family, and he went to the University of Vienna, uh, got his doctorate in economics, and uh, he was a socialist, um, as what we we would call at the undergraduate level. But he studied um, under the great um, early Austrian economist, and he completely switched his mind away from socialism and uh, became a pro-capitalist, free-market-oriented person. Uh, He taught a private seminar at the University of Vienna. Uh, He was the chief economist of the Chamber of Commerce uh, in Austria, which was kind of like a branch of government over there. Hmm. And so a very important player. Um, His biographer, uh, Guido Holzman, it's a magnificent uh, biography. It's called The uh, The Last Night. K-N-I-G-H-T, of liberalism. And, you know, here in the United States, liberalism means progressivism and the Democratic Party. But the rest of the world, when you say liberal or liberalism, you're talking about basically somebody who supports the free market and, uh, you know, and is liberal overall in general. And so, you know, he was an important player. Um, He... uh, fled to uh, Switzerland when the Nazis invaded uh, Vienna, uh, and the Nazis sent a a special task force of the SS to capture Mises, and he was already gone, so they took all of his papers and his books and everything that he owned. um, And uh, Mises, meanwhile, went from Switzerland to the United States um, and taught at New York University, uh, and really rewrote the rules of economics over the course of his lifetime and made incredible contributions. He was the first one to recognize that socialism as an economic system was impossible. Uh, He was the first person to come up with uh, economic theory of the business cycle. Uh, He rewrote the methodology of how economists go about uh, at least Austrian economists, how we go about doing economics. Uh, and so very, very uh, important person. And with the downfall of the Soviet Union, uh, we found, or they found, um, 
Mises's original pre-World War II papers. Apparently, the, the Nazis took him to a uh, SS uh, special warehouse to study his papers, hoping that they could find a cure for socialism. <laughs> the Nazis and, were socialists, though, and that's one of the great misconceptions, as we keep hearing about the right-wing dictatorship Nazis. They were socialists, weren't they? Yes, the nationalist socialist. So they were nationalists, they were pro-German, and they were socialists. They were pro-government in the economy. And, of course, uh, they were, you know, had complete control over the German economy. Um, and when the Soviet Union invaded Germany, uh, they took Mises' papers that the Nazis had and brought them back to a, uh, a spy warehouse in, uh, near Moscow. Right. And so when the Soviet Union broke down, uh, academic researchers were able to find Mises' papers, and they were very surprised. Uh, but the Russians also wanted to find uh, the secrets to solving the problems of socialism uh, that Mises first identified in 1920, shortly after the Russian Revolution. So that gives you a very clear, uh, distinct understanding of Mises as a very, very important academic uh, person in Europe, uh, prior to World War II, and uh, and the fact that he had to flee uh, from the socialist, and that the socialist thought that he was so important that they uh, brought his papers, took his papers, uh, studied them, hoping that they'd find some missing link uh, that Mises was hiding uh, okay. in, in his critique of socialism. See, this is fascinating. So you have the Nazis, who are national socialists, going after his papers. You have the Russians, who are the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, and they're both trying to find, trying to make something work that Mises already said was impossible to work. What were they looking for? Well, Mises said that uh, socialism was impossible because you need prices to allocate resources and goods and services. Okay. And Mises, in his book, said that the reason uh, you can't have rational prices in socialism is because you don't have private property. Uh, and so there is no real cure uh, for socialism. And indeed, what the Russians ended up doing is they had an economy after the Russian Revolution with no wage rates, no prices, uh, no real money, no real banking, uh, no real private property. Um, and so as their economy quickly uh, imploded, mm -hmm. they were forced to adopt wage rates, prices, physical money, uh, interest rates. It, these were all government choices, and, and so they weren't. Uh, rational. It wasn't a rational system, but it was a workable system. Uh, but it just couldn't uh, grow, basically, and it couldn't uh, develop new technologies. Um, you know, in the in the sense of what the economy needs. I mean, you can create any technology that you want if you put enough resources into it. Uh, but they couldn't, uh, you know, do what was necessary, and so. The people of the Soviet Union were perennially uh, hungry, uh, perennially doing without, uh, or they'd have to resort to the black market. Yeah. Uh, and so as the years went on, the stagnation went on, 
they had to increasingly rely on exploiting uh, resources, uh, stealing resources, uh, and making its population basically do without. And without the support of the United States, uh, uh, you know, over the years, uh, including, you know, subsidized grain sales to the Soviet Union from the United States, uh, massive subsidies to the Soviet Union during World War II, that regime would have totally collapsed had it not been for uh, subsidies from the United States to keep the Soviet Union uh, in the war. And so they were a relatively weak um, economy. Mm. And we, we didn't know that. The CIA didn't know that because the Soviet Union could just claim that their GDP was increasing because the government was setting all the prices and wages, they could always alter the GDP numbers. And that's another thing that Austrians have been able to exploit is that GDP is something that is easily manipulated. Yeah. That's why I I don't understand those numbers. I don't know what they mean or or what's going on with them. That's why the fact that you're not doing as much math makes it uh, makes it great. Let me um, sort of bring this up to present day if we can. Why are we rushing headlong into such a socialist system? Why is Bernie Sanders so popular? So if you can contrast the socialism of Bernie Sanders with the capitalism of Donald Trump, let's kind of bring this up to present day. Well, you know, the good sign, the good thing is that both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump are clearly outsiders. Bernie Sanders isn't even inside the Democratic Party. He's an independent and a socialist. Uh, Donald Trump isn't really in the Republican Party either. He was a Democrat uh, in the past, and he supported many, many Democratic politicians. But he's clearly an outsider. He he doesn't fit uh, the Republican Party. The Republican Party would (laughs) really, but Donald Trump. uh, But the people, and, and this gets back to my original point, the people in the United States are, have sat up and taken notice that Washington, D.C. is really uh, having a negative effect on ordinary Americans. And so, you know, the ideology of the people has changed, and they're looking for change as well. And so they're turning about and, uh, you know, casting aside the insiders like Jeb Bush and Hillary Clinton, and they're going for the outsider. So they don't know uh, what the answer is yet, uh, but they are clearly looking for a substantive change. And I think Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, um, you know, represent that alternative. And so now we have to focus uh, our efforts mm-hmm. at educating uh, the people that, yes, we do want change, but we want change in the direction of a greatly reduced government, uh, greatly uh, reducing the amount of intervention that the government is doing, taxes, inflation, all of those things that the government is messing up. So we have to take that um, opportunity uh, to take the sentiment for change and move that um, through study of economics uh, towards a free market direction so we get solutions rather than just simply 
uh, more problems. Interesting. We have to take a break. And I never did ask which, if there are any government agencies you know, that are actually using Austrian economics. I would tend to think not, but you can tell me that. We're going to get into actual uh, the laws of supply and demand, what exactly is inflation, all that kind of stuff, and then we can apply those to more modern uh, problems and things. Anyway, 1330 WEBY, Northwest Florida's Talk Radio. Greg Penglis here with my special guest, Mark Thornton of the Mises Institute. We'll be right back. Song. <laughs> We're having a good time here. That's A-Doc. He's, he's great. He's wonderful about these things. 8.38 in the morning here. Uh, I got a quote from your website about socialism. Uh, it says, socialism permits no private property or exchange in capital goods and thus no way for resources to find their most highly valued use. Socialism, Mises predicted, would result in utter chaos and the end of civilization. And that's pretty much happened to, to Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia, right? Oh, yeah. And as I said before, the... The first couple of years of the Soviet Union, they tried true socialism, and it was a miserable failure. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, starvation, untold uh, numbers of people dying uh, for lack of food and fuel. Uh, it's a you know, it's it, the the type of socialism that we have today uh, is limited socialism. So France, okay. Germany. The United States, all these other countries, they have lots of private property. They have private companies. They have money. They have market-determined prices uh, that are regulated in some cases, intervened in others, subsidized in others, taxed in, on others. Uh, so it's limited socialism that is pervasive around the world. But true socialism, Mises said, is impossible and would result in the utter ruin and chaos of civilization, and so they've had to back off of that. Okay. And so they basically uh, are right. The socialists are riding the capitalist horse uh, that does all the work, um, you know, and gets the job done. Uh, but socialism doesn't really provide uh, any social benefits. Really, it it uh, it's it's a way of paying off uh, part of the population with the productivity of the productive classes, uh, labor, capitalism, capitalists, entrepreneurs, those are the people who get things done, who make products and uh, create incomes. Uh, and socialism basically just feeds off of the productive classes. Yeah, interesting. That's why I brought up uh, Bernie Sanders and why we're, you know, there are people in this country that want to rush headlong to that system that has already been proven not to work. So let's get to some, some basics here. The, the laws of supply and demand. We hear supply and demand all the time. What does that mean exactly, and what, what were the revelations of, of the Austrian uh, School of Economics on that? Well, the law of demand is that we will purchase more of a product as the price goes lower. Right. And the law of supply is that more will be produced the higher it goes. And so if you take the, the law of supply and the law of demand what you find is a system that creates prices and regulates prices so that no matter what happens in the economy, um, the adjustment process will take place in markets based on the law of supply and demand. You'll get market-determined prices, and you'll get uh, conservation of resources and that goods will be going to their most highly valued uses. 
And so we, really we all participate in markets, whether it's in the labor market where you can have various types of jobs uh, or in the product market where you can purchase or produce various types of goods. Hmm. And we all have a comparative advantage on the supply side so that we tend to migrate in the direction of the production of goods that we're best suited to produce. And then we all have our personal preferences in terms of goods, and so we migrate in the direction of what we like and what does it cost. And so this is a system that doesn't have to be regulated at all. Hmm. It doesn't have to have direction from some higher source. It's an independent, uh, comprehensive system that we all, and we get to the point where our resources are directed towards the production of goods that produce the most value, and at the same time, we are all encouraged encouraged to conserve um, on, on what we consume so that we end up with the highest possible standard of living. So it's, it's one in which, uh, through private property, we have a built-in incentive to uh, serve our fellow man and woman uh, out there in the economy to make each other as best off as possible. So it's really a remarkable system. It's one that humanity uh, gyrates towards uh, independently, hmm. but we only discovered its workings in the early part, the complete system, in the early part of the 20th century. And when people don't understand how the system works, they tend to gravitate towards the best propaganda story out there. And so Bernie Sanders is saying, you know, everybody should have this and everybody should have that. It's all free. He's, all, he's <laughs> only talking about the the good side of things. He's not talking about, well, how is this going to be produced? Okay. And is it really necessary that everybody get a graduate degree um, in college? And so he's, he's, you know, talking about the presence he wishes to provide, but he's not talking about how it can be provided, uh, because then you start asking questions, well, you know, is that really possible, or is that really logical, or is that really necessary? Those are the common questions. So we all need to understand the basics of economics and of capitalism, or else we are in danger of killing the goose that laid the golden egg. Yeah. And that's where we're that's where we're at right now. Is that a lot of Americans um, don't understand, you know, where the prosperity is coming from? So they think it's something that's always going to exist. And, you know, this generation is the first generation in the history of the United States where it's not better off than the previous generation. And so we are in the process of killing the geese that lays the golden eggs because we don't understand where our prosperity comes from. And it comes from limited government. It comes from private property. It comes from capitalism. Uh, and it's the entrepreneur that solves our problems and provides us with jobs and you know, does all these great things, and, and we're discouraging entrepreneurs in the economy uh, with a $20 trillion national debt, uh, a system of irrational regulations that are unnecessary in the first place. Uh, and, of course, also, we are, we've been off the gold standard since 1971. Mm -hmm. We've been on a fiat paper system 
which is creating havoc uh, in the American economy and in our capital structure. Wow. <laughs> Where do we go from here? There's too much. Uh, do you, do you, <laughs> Sorry. Okay. No, I appreciate it. This is why I say I need you back for, for more, more, more chats on this. Do you, do you think that the government schools who want to have compliant government citizens are doing a huge disservice by not teaching economics and promoting uh, sort of a government socialist planned economy will be the best of possible worlds where we, they can control the climate and, uh, you know, control which, who, who gets what job and, you know, permanent education. How does, how does education fit into the, the misunderstanding? Well, you know, the United States uh, became the most literate nation in the world before public education, before compulsory education. We were the most literate people ever. Huh. And so we certainly don't need public education, but the government does. The government uses public education, and they, you know, they teach us math and science, uh, but they also teach uh, American history and, and economics and social studies, and all of that is geared towards making people compliant yeah. uh, with the government and making them uh, unable to critically think about things. Uh, by the time you graduate from the public education system, uh, basically you have points of view um, that are compliant with the government. And then you go to college and you take economics, and you know, 99 people out of 100, uh, you know, the people ask me, "What do I do for a living?" Well, you know, at a party or something, and I say, <laughs> "Well, I'm an economist." <laughs> And they, they'll say that was the course I hated the most. Yeah. And then typically you don't you don't say something like that to somebody you just met, but 99 out of 100 people will tell tell me that. And you know mainstream Keynesian economics, which they teach in college, uh, is pro-government uh, economics. You need the government to run deficits. You need the government uh, to manage the business cycle. You need government to to uh, manage markets and to regulate markets and to subsidize public education and farming and, you know, a list of things. Um, they're not taught scientific Austrian economics. They're taught government economics where uh, there's, you know, market failures throughout the economy. Um, there's an irrational business cycle where business people, um, you know, become overly optimistic and then they become overly pessimistic and so if the government's not there the economy will spin out of control how do they get this ridiculous belief uh, this is, you know we got to take a break in a second, a second here so we should probably come back and talk about this but it's like government seeks control yet they have no intellectual basis for doing it yet they do it anyway they, they have a school system that creates you know generations of people that believe in this kind of control and yet they always screw it up and this the system kind of perpetuates so let's, let's find, I wanted to see what insights you have as to why governments insist on controlling things that they can't control we'll be right back in just a little bit 849 1330 WEBY I don't with a very special guest, Mark Thornton of the Mises Institute. And the question I, I posed right before the break, why do governments insist on controlling things that they can't control? Do you have any insight on that? Well, you know, government is a system where they take a certain percentage of our resources 
uh, and then they produce a negative net benefit. And so that's, that's a losing proposition. So democracy and government has to come up with ways to placate the majority of the citizens in order to keep their cush jobs. And so government takes in a bunch of our money. Uh, they provide cush jobs for, you know, a bunch of people, and they provide benefits. They provide welfare. They provide free education. They provide you know, all of these services to people. They provide people with Social Security. and But, you know, at everything that they do um, is, is a net loss to society. So basically, when we educate someone in a public school, it costs twice as much adjusted for quality of education than if we did educate that same person in a private school uh, based on them making their own payment for that service. And so, you know, it's a process where they have to buy off an increasing number of people, uh, whether that's in the defense industry, whether that's in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, whether that's providing uh, subsidies in agriculture. And so it's basically a payoff system where you have to pay off uh, at least 50% of the voters. Right in order for them to keep their jobs. And so that's why they want to be in a position of control. You know, they want to control at least the commanding heights, uh, things like transportation and communication, um, and all of the things that Karl Marx laid out in the Communist Manifesto, uh, public schools, central bank. You know, if you get, if you get a copy of the Communist Manifesto, there's the 10-point program of the communist revolution, which lays the groundwork for, you know, complete uh, in Karl Marx's uh, system for complete communism. But you look at the list of ten things and you say, "Wow, the United States has all ten of those things, and we've had them for over a century now." Yeah. And so that's that's where they're going is that uh, that need to control whether it's ideological or whether it's just basic. Um, you know, I want to keep my job, uh, my cush job working for government. Uh, you know, we need that kind of control. We need that kind of authority, and we need to instill the ideology of the government. Interesting. If we had a purely Austrian economic system, how much government would we, would we have and what would they do? I know that's a huge question, and we only have a few minutes left, but what what should government do to, to provide the, the, the best allocation of resources and all these things, and we'll get into some other stuff in a little bit. Well, we're, we're jumping off our scientific course here, and we're That's getting okay. into the, rule, the, rule, the realm of uh, advocacy. But basically, uh, you know, we had, the, under the Articles of Confederation, we, have all, we had almost no federal government, um, you know, very, very limited uh, government. Everything was on uh, a time scale. Uh, but basically, um, Austrians, I think, would agree uh, that government uh, should make sure uh, that property rights um, are defended, uh, that disputes are adjudicated, and that the nation itself is defended uh, from foreign invasion. And so that would call forth for things like uh, police security services, uh, court systems, uh, and national defense. And, you know, even currently, 
all three of those areas are things in which government and the private sector um, are directly involved. We spend money on local police, uh, we, but we also spend money defending ourselves with security firms and, and things of that nature, yeah. alarm systems, you know, and so forth. And then with uh, adjudicating disputes, yes, we have courts at the local, state, county, federal level. Yeah, we have to interrupt you because we only have about 30 seconds left, so I want to make sure that... Uh you say the last thing that you want to say, but uh, we have to have you back. I mean, this is just, we're just getting started in this chat. I can certainly come back. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to add just in the, in the little bit of time we have left? Well, I would uh, encourage everybody to go today, M-I-S-E-S dot O-R-G. Take a look, maybe subscribe, uh, but I think you'll find it probably was the best thing you're going to do for yourself today. Wow. And there's so much we want to talk about. So many things I didn't get to. I want to find out what inflation is. I want to find out how wealth is created. And all, you're like a walking economics course. And this is why I want to get you back in a little bit. And basically just pick up where we left off, if that's okay, sometime in the future. Absolutely, Greg. Thank Love you. to do it. Oh, thank you, sir, so much. I really And that's where we end it. You know, it's, it's weird. I'm sitting here with my uh, cell phone. Um, on a stack of uh, books, <laughs> so you know this is kind of with my microphone because I don't uh, I, I don't use um, uh, I don't put a phone up to my head. That's just kind of crazy. It's too much radiation. Anyway, so here we are, uh, and I've got uh, I don't know I have up to, I've got an hour left if I want it. I'm not sure how much of it I'm going to use. I just want to kind of tie things up um, for the week. So it's been you know maybe I'll start doing this. Actually, I was looking at my calendar. Because uh, I, I heard this interview before. In fact, I just processed it before the show started this morning. I have to run it through my Adobe Audition software and take out the commercials and the news breaks and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, it's, this has been a wild week, so I think I might do this uh, start a regular feature at the end of the show uh, on uh, Fridays to kind of uh, you know summarize. First thing we had Monday, we had Heather Strickland come back, our, our rebel keto with the rebel report. On uh, Tuesday, we had Mario Prado, who's the director of movie The Falcon which I'm uh, now, a, I guess, a consultant or a technical advisor to uh, because they're going to have some aspects of, of what we do, uh, citizen legislation uh, in the film. That's going to be very cool. Uh, Wednesday, we had Dr. Viglione, which was great. She's from Gulf Breeze, just around, uh, just south of us here, right, right on the Gulf, obviously, hence Gulf Breeze. And she's written this fabulous book with uh, Jim Thorpe and a lawyer named Susan Saxman on uh, COVID, uh, COVID vaccines, you know, what they're not telling you. And so that, or I think it's COVID vaccines and beyond what the vaccine manufacturers are not telling you. That'd be the right name for it. You can get that on Amazon. Yesterday, David Stockman, you know, Ronald Reagan's budget director, uh, writer, author, business guy, investment firm, you know, Solomon Brothers, you know, some of the bigger Wall Street uh, firms was on yesterday. And today, today my microphone cord didn't work. <laughs> We're kind of all over the place here. And so I had uh, I had that going on. So I, I've, I usually keep the previous one. So I've got that one. I'll try that. But if I get a mic cord, um, I think that's what happens. Is it just it, they just the connection just doesn't work as long. They're, they're, they're you know they're cheap. I've been good for about six months, and then I get another one. All right, a couple things to play for you. I'll be right back. I've got one another article, and then we'll see how long I, I plan to uh, to hang out with this. But uh, be back in a bit. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. 
So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. This is Greg Pankless for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strike Force is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. All right, speaking of action, there's a couple of things going on. One, there's a story I've been meaning to report for, I don't know, probably a week or two. Uh, this is on the, the food crisis in Europe. These idiots that have these nitrogen uh, ministers, <laughs> you know, they're trying to kick nitrogen out of the air. This topic. So you can't have nitrogen fertilizer because that feeds people. We can't have people being fed. That's against government policy, apparently. So feeding people is against government policy. So they're trying to kill everybody. Uh, it, it really looks like they're trying to kill everybody because they're doing everything to make our life miserable. So I don't know at what point these people you know, think that we're not going to revolt or do something. It's just kind of crazy. Anyway, one of the uh, things that happened, I just found this out recently, I think yesterday, that uh, one of our representatives here, uh, Congressman Greg Stubbe, Greg Stubbe has a, uh, uh, a bill that uh, it's it's kind of a big tech bill. It's like our Section 230 bill. I think ours is better. <laughs> so I'm going to call him after the show and say, hey, I think ours is better. Um, but I'll do it a lot nicer than that. You know, anyway, so Greg Stewie represents Florida's 17th district. And so the headline from his, actually his own press release, Stewie introduces bill limiting Section 230 immunity for big tech companies. Yeah, see, I, limiting their immunity is not the same thing as getting rid of it. And so that's why I think my bill is stronger. Because my bill says that uh, if big tech touches your account, touches anything you post, 
or touches the search engines in any way other than just letting them do their thing, then they lose their immunity and they could be sued. That's a lot stronger, I think, than this one. So this is – oh, it's an October 30 press release. How did it come came out now? That's interesting. I just noticed the date on this. Anyway, it says, today, U.S. Representative Greg Subi introduced the Curbing Abuse and Savings Expression and Technology Act, or the Case It Act. This legislation amends Section 230 of the Communications Act of 1934 in an effort to promote free speech online while protecting kids from dangerous content. Yeah, see, this is the same kind of stuff that this, they're, they're sort of you know, monkeying around a little bit on the extremes and the edges, and they're not really dealing with the problem uh, specifically. It says, in order to receive the special government protection, these platforms would be required to adhere to a First Amendment standard for the content moderation practices. They should be required to hit, adhere to a First Amendment standard <clears throat> regardless of anything. <laughs> no. He says, unelected big tech CEOs should not be able to abuse the protections granted to them by Section 230 to block speech and withhold information from the public uh, just because it doesn't suit their political beliefs. Okay? He says, sense, this is Greg Stubbe, the representative. The censorship has gone beyond simply acting as publishers and has reached the point of active and intentional election interference. They will be held accountable. Well, see, that's the thing. They're not publishers. That's the whole point of Section 230. I think he's got it a little bit off. You know, publishers would be like the Washington Post, which, believe it or not, is actually responsible for what they say and can be sued for libel. So they're not publishers, um, but they're given protection not from – and you know they're not publishers because they have immunity from what you post. See, if they were responsible for what you post, then they would have the ability to take it off, but they're not responsible for what you post because they have immunity. So because they have immunity, they shouldn't be able to touch what you post because they're not responsible for it. It's got nothing to do with them. And he, he kind of misses the point on that. Anyway, that's what I find interesting. I just saw his bill on the news, so maybe it's, maybe it's moving up. So we'll see what's, what's going on with that. That was interesting. Right, let's put that one aside. The, other, the last thing I want to talk about, unless we get a flood of calls in here, is uh, something called the engineered uh, famine. And this is from Natural News. And, of course, Natural News, you cannot post on Facebook anywhere. You just can't. They don't even want uh, anything that, that comes from natural news. They automatically disqualify, even if it's good, <clears throat> which it is in this case. So natural news, uh, let's get the date on here, uh, December 5th. So this would be Monday. Uh, it's by Mike Adams, the, the executive, uh, the, the editor of natural news. He says, engineered famine, German farmers ordered to slash nitrogen fertilizer usage to comply with EU green tyrants. These people are nuts. Okay, I mean, I mean, at least when the environmentalists are funny, they're they're not so dangerous. But the, these people are seriously deranged. Do they want to get rid of nitrogen? Nitrogen is seventy-two percent of the atmosphere. That's why I say, you know what? We get too much water. Let's just stop. You know, anybody who uses water has got a problem. So stop using water. <clears throat> we don't need water. Water is a pollutant. <laughs> it's the same thing. What's the difference? Anyway, natural news. Over the last year, the green tyranny bureaucracy of the EU, the European Union, should be PU, but anyway, has managed to nearly destroy Western Europe's energy relationship with Russia, leaving the continent desperate for energy inputs to keep its power grid functioning. Yeah, they don't have – they've got problems, yeah. This is now this food supply of Europe is under direct assault via multiple schemes that seem designed to end affordable food at the same time electricity is becoming unaffordable for businesses and residential households alike. So this is – I mean, what's next? Energy. So get rid of energy, get rid of our food, you know, and just, it's just, I, what, you get rid of our housing next, you know, kind of, we all have to live in the, in the, in the communal government place. Anyway, quote is, this is from uh, Breitbart.com. Yeah, Breitbart. I saw, I saw, maybe I saw German also. Anyway, I like Germany. I had a great time. They have wonderful people. Don't, don't, you know, mistake my rather bad impressions for uh, <clears throat> castigating a prejudice or anything else like that. All right. 
So the article says Germany bans farmers from properly fertilizing land to serve EU green agenda. Now, how does it serve anybody's agenda to have farmers not plant food? Okay, I, call me crazy, but this, that makes no sense, right? So Breitbart.com says, as of Thursday, the use of nitrite, nitrate fertilizers has been greatly restricted for large swaths of farmland uh, in the northern Rhine, Rhine, W-H-I-R-N-E, excuse me, R-H-I-N-E, Rhine, as in the Rhine River, right? Westphalia, uh, that's the area, Rhine-Westphalia. The site reports uh, referring to one of the most abundant uh, food production areas of Germany. Yeah. The Rhineland? Have you ever heard of that? Anyway, it says the Green Tyrants, uh, another headline, Green Tyrants are at war with the table of elements, and they really despise nitrogen and carbon. Yeah, this is the part I don't understand, okay? You want to talk about following the science? They're just totally reversing and screwing up and, and twisting the science. I mean, carbon is the basis of our life form. Nitrogen is the basis of our oxygen. Okay? You can't do without carbon and nitrogen, folks. It doesn't work. Anyway, the, 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 the article says the ban originates with EU bureaucrats, Waging war on nitrogen, the essential element that makes up nearly 80% of Earth's atmosphere, he yeah, I said 72%, and is critical for crop production. After having declared war on carbon, the building block of biological life, globalists are now targeting nitrogen as a means to deliberately engineer widespread famine and mass death. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Nitrogen-based fertilizers produce, fertilizers produce the food that feeds about 4 billion people on planet Earth. Okay, we only have 5 billion. So that means four. That means that means eighty percent are fed. Yeah, so they you know are, are fed by nitrogen fertilizers. We well, can't just cut that off. That's crazy. But yeah, I think that's what they're thinking of doing. And that's from ourworldindata.org, and they have a table here you can look up also. Uh, it says without nitrogen fertilizers, literally literally half the world's existing population would starve to death. Germany's farmers have so far been ordered to cut nitrogen by twenty percent, but this is just the first stage. As with all such programs, such with such the government, excuse me, it's been a long week. <laughs> We're running out of gas here. This is, as with all such programs, soon the government will demand more cuts and won't be, be long before nitrogen fertilizers are nearly banned across EU countries, that's European Union, thanks to the climate cult that's now in charge of policy. Looks like I've been calling it a climate cult for a while, so it's kind of interesting. So we see a big chart here, world population with and without synthetic uh, Fertilizers. Yeah, there's less people because you can grow less food if you don't have nitrogen fertilizer. I'd rather have the fertilizer. Thank you. The nation of Sri Lanka tried to outlaw the importation of nitrogen-based fertilizers, and the police moved uh, move uh, led to a catastrophic collapse of the nation's economy. Well, that's interesting. Also, the government transportation, uh, finances, and rule of law. Also, mass uprisings were widespread with food from farms rotted in the fields due to lack of fuel supplies and a functioning means of transportation. Even the trans, even the trains were taken offline. Okay, it says UNEP, that'd be United Nations, uh, I guess, Environmental Project. Acting director in, in 2019 declared that the reason food production needs to be drastically cut is because of mankind's long-term interference with Earth's nitrogen balance. Humans, in other words, have to die in order to save the planet. Well, that's the usual leftist view, right? One month after the meeting, Sri Lankan voters elected the H E Gotabaya Rapa. Rajapaksa, Rajapaksa, there we go. Good luck with these names, right? As president, and, anti and he's an anti-fertilizer president. How can he be anti-fertilizer? And why didn't that come up in the midterms? Anyway, he says, Rajapaksa declared without any evidence that synthetic fertilizers are causing human kidney disease. Two years later, April 2021, uh, he banned all imports of fertilizer. 
Well, that's crazy again. That guy, Roger Bosca, there we go, once again declared that all chemical fertilizers lead to adverse health effects and environmental impacts, a claim that would quickly be exposed as a new policy for the Netherlands and other countries, you know, aiming to go green. After the fertilizer ban, 85% of Sri Lankan farmers experienced crop losses. That's from Michael uh, Schellenberger on on, uh, Substack. Rice production fell 20%, prices rose 50%, and the nation had to import $450 million worth of grain. Okay? This is in Rajanganaya. (laughs) These names are crazy. I love it. Where farmers operate on just a hectare, that's 2.5 acres of land on average, uh, families reported producing half their normal crop harvest. Well, if you only have a half an acre, that's not a lot of land to to, uh, um, to grow anything, really. It's kind of crazy. All right. The hardest hit area of Sri Lanka's food economy is tea. Have you heard so long tea? That's where Sri Lanka is. Sri Lanka is the new name for Ceylon. So all your green teas that came from Ceylon, or regular teas that came from Ceylon, that's where it is. Now it's Sri Lanka. The hardest hit uh, area of Sri Lanka food food economy uh, is tea, which before the government ban generated $1.3 billion in exports and provided 71% of the nation's food imports. After the fertilizer ban, tea production crashed 18%, reaching its lowest level in 23 years. Schellenberg reads, the government's devastating ban on fertilizer thus destroyed the ability of Sri Lanka to pay for food, fuel, and service its debt. All right. There's more to it, but you get the idea. It's a fairly long article, and so I'm going to sort of spare you right now. But uh, there's a madness going on. There's a madness that these people think that uh, uh, in order to save the planet, we have to get rid of, the, of all the people in it. <laughs> That's basically what they're saying. No carbon, which means no plant food. Right? Nothing the plants can breathe. Um, no nitrogen, which means the, the plants can't, uh, uh, can't grow and can't, uh, you know, make little plants, and, 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 and they can't be healthy because, you know, the, the fertilizers in the minerals. So that's their food. So, so carbon dioxide takes away their air, and nitrogen takes away their food. How are these plants are supposed to survive? That's the crazy part. Anyway, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it looks like it. All right. Um, yeah, I just like I said, I got a little little discouraged initially having to operate off a cell phone. So I'm going to cut the show a little short this week. Been fun. We've gone long every other day. So you know, by Friday, I'm like, you know what? Time for the weekend. So let me play uh, my traditional 1812 overture. And um, and get you all out of here, and we'll do it again Monday. Remember, if you want to contribute to us, we have GiveSendGo.com. That's our Give Send Go account. Uh, we also have PayPal if you want to uh, uh, have me uh, create an ad for you. If you want to be a sponsor for us, uh, then that that certainly helps. Also, that's PayPal.com/slash PayPalMe/slash um, Action Radio. Easy, easy, easy to find stuff, right? And so that's how you do it. So I'll be back Monday morning at 6 a.m. with Jonathan, Diane. Excuse me, Jonathan, Dorothy, and Heather. It's going to be an interesting, interesting week. And a little late to overture, a couple things to play, and then I'll see you next week.
This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.